Well, in recent weeks and months, I have been absent from the assembly on many of occasions, but I want you to know that every time that I return, I am thrilled to be here. And it is an honor to be asked to supply for our pastor while he is away. We praise God for him and for his family, and we pray that God will give him a safe journey back home to be where he belongs with us. I understand that uh, Brian uh, sent him a response to his being gone and told him he had no business going anywhere. He should turn around and come home. Something like that. Get back here where you belong. But then, then he backed off and said, oh, go ahead and have a good time anyway, would you? Don't you like people who can, who can put a smile on your face as well as, you know, get your mind working just a little bit? God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. You have your Bible. Would you please open uh, to John chapter 15. Our text today will be verses 1 down through verse 5. I was quite hesitant uh, to, uh, to preach from this text this morning for one reason. Our pastor has dealt with this extensively during the last year. I'm sure most of you remember that. Now, I am not going to repeat what he has said. I'm not going to go in any different direction than what our pastor has been preaching because I thoroughly respect his study of the Bible and his scholarship and bringing to us dynamic, inspirational messages. But we will look at something, maybe a question that you would have uh, in response to these verses. Uh, to begin with, would you notice the last words of the previous chapter? Would you notice that? Look at them, if you would please. Jesus says, Arise, let us go hence. He is talking uh, to 11 of his disciples. They are in the upper room in Jerusalem. They have observed the Passover and he has instituted what we call Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. And he took that occasion to teach them tremendous truths. Remember, this is the night before his crucifixion. At the end of his teaching and that celebration, he said, gentlemen, it's time for us to leave this place. Leaving the upper room. If you follow through John, you find they are now walking to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will agonize in prayer and where Judas Iscariot will show up with all of the officers of the court and have Jesus arrested. As they are on their way, it would seem to me that our text is because they walked through a vineyard and that vineyard seized the mind and the imagination of Jesus and he pauses for a few minutes and he turns to that vineyard this is my understanding of it and he says to his disciples he says do you see this vineyard he said I am the true vine 
My father is the husbandman or the vine dresser or the cultivator of the vineyard. Every branch that is in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean. You are purged through the word that I have spoken unto you. He said, abide in me uh, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can you all except you all abide in me. He said, I am the vine. You all are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Can you say amen to that? How many of you have been thinking in recent days, months, or maybe in the past year, oh God, how can I come to know and to do your will? How can I fulfill your expectations of my life? I am so grateful that I am saved. Would you join me as we pray? And Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you because you are the vine dresser. You are the keeper of the blessed vineyard uh, through which Jesus is the mighty true vine. And Lord, we thank you that we are branches in our Lord and Savior Jesus. Now God, would you guide us through uh, these truths that we're looking at this morning. And may they imprint and may they impress upon our minds things that will be life-changing. Lord, you can do it. We cannot. And we trust in you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, there's, there's one or two things that I know about you if you're saved. Uh, one of the things that I know about you uh, has to do with what Sister Camille said to us a few moments ago. And that is, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And one of the things you would like to do is to bless the Lord, oh my soul. Would you like to bless the Lord? Would you truly like for God to say, I appreciate the way you are blessing me. Okay. Now, the other question is, can you really bless God? You see that? Now, there are two words translated bless in the New Testament. One of them means to make happy. It's just a word. To make you happy. I think it is it markaras, make you happy. Uh, to be overflowing. That's the blessedness of the Beatitudes. The making happy of the people of God. Well, can we make the Lord happy? I believe that you can. How do you do that? You make the Lord happy when you are a fruit-bearing child of the living God, when you are bringing to fruition what God has started in your life, not that you can do it yourself, but you must participate and cooperate with the Lord Jesus Christ every step of the way in your life. And when you do that, the Lord takes pleasure in His people. The psalmist said that He inhabits 
gets the praises of his people. Ladies and gentlemen, when you praise the Lord God Almighty, I want you to know he says his presence is among us when that is transpiring. And that brings us to the other word in the New Testament that is translated bless. And that means it is the word eulogotes, our word eulogize. A eulogy is not a funeral sermon. A eulogy is for you to say every good thing that could come out of your mouth and out of your heart that you meant for real about the person you're eulogizing. Now, one of the things that we are to do is to eulogize the Lord God Almighty. We make Him happy. We speak well of Him. In other words, our testimony is grounded in the Lord God, uh, our Savior, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, what a blessing there is. Now, here's another thing I know about you. If you'll say, how many of you saved? Raise your hand. Raise. I know I'm saved. Raise. Okay, the other thing I know about that is because you're saved. And it started, it started the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Something happened to you. You wanted to know more about the will of God for your life and how that could actually be done. In fact, in your experience that was tremendously important for you everyone who is saved wants to know the will of God and how to do the will of God that just grabs hold of you when, when you're born again and made new and that's why the Bible speaks so much about us knowing and doing the will of God one we need to know that God wants us to fulfill his will we need to know what it means to fulfill his will and we want to know how in the world can we get in on it and get it done. I'm glad you're interested in that. I'm not going to answer all that this morning, though. I want to talk about the important thing and, and just focus in on a central issue in fulfilling the will of God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the will of God that you be a spiritually productive child of the living God. God wants you to bear fruit for him in your life and around you so that it can be your experience and it can touch the lives of other people. Oh, to be a fruit-bearing Christian, that is the will of God. Is there any secret pastor to doing that or preacher? And I would say, yes, there is. There is a secret. Well, it used to be a secret. It's not a secret anymore. Since Jesus showed up, he revealed the mystery of the secret of how you can become a successful, spiritually super successful child of the living God. And he says it in our text. He said, if you abide in me, <laughs> he that abideth in me. He said he will, he will bring forth much fruit. He will go on in verse 7. If you abide in me, he said in my word abide in you. You shall ask anything that you will. Ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Oh my 
goodness, abiding in Christ is a gigantic, powerful principle that Jesus wanted impressed and branded on the hearts and on the mind of his 11 disciples. And he wanted them to pass that on to you and I. And they did by giving us his word. They did by giving us the history of, of their life and their experiences and how God used them. Nothing is any more important to your life and my life than that. So we have chosen of the five verses that we have read simply to focus. Now, I hope I'm not cheating you on this, but look at verse 2. There are two halves, you see, to this verse 2. One half is, you know, if you, <laughs> and he that is not bearing fruit, he said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to take it away. I don't want to get into that. There's too many controversies about what that means. Other than I know that I have the right answer, but I'll keep that to myself today. But the other half, I think you can, we all, I think, would agree on this. He said, and every branch in me that is bearing fruit. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Jesus said, every, every branch that is fruitful. In other words, Jesus is in love with a fruit-bearing branch. Jesus is excited about what's going on in my life and yours when we are bearing fruit. How thrilling it is to know that Jesus said to the eleven and to you and me, he said, brothers and sisters, <laughs> He said, whoa, if you're bearing fruit, he said, you have all of my attention. And there's nothing bad about that. Now, there are some branches that he has some things to say that's a little bit difficult, okay? But if you're bearing fruit, his, his face is smiling upon you. His eyes are just shining with utter admiration because he can see his work going on in your life and mine. Now here is the question. We talk a lot about how you need to be bearing fruit, but there's one issue that when it is all over with, and I remember years ago, I used to preach from these, uh, you know, chapter 15 quite often, and when people would come up after and say, but they would say, now, Brother Don, we realize that we ought to be bearing fruit, and we know there's great benefit in it, but I had people to say, well, Brother Don, what in the world is the fruit that we're supposed to be? I mean, specific, are there any specifics about that fruit that is supposed to be, be productive in our life? And, uh, and then I realized that sometimes I didn't get quite as explicit and definite and defining that. But did you know the New Testament does? The New Testament says that you can know what fruit God wants from your life. And this morning, just very simply, I want to reiterate five special fruit that will encompass the majority of your experience with God spiritually. The first one, of course, is found in Galatians 5 in verse 22. And we would call that character fruit. And Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says that God wants to 
wants to manufacture in the life of every believer in Jesus Christ certain virtues and attitudes that make up the total disposition of the heart of the believer. Oh my goodness, how wonderful. This, and it is called the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that the Holy Spirit of Almighty God produces in the life of every believer in Jesus. Well, He is going to do it to, in some degree to every one of us more than others. The only difference is going to be, am I really and truly going to co cooperate with Him fully? Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? God wants certain things uh, to be produced in my life, and God knows I'm behind all of the time. Love, joy, and peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, uh, goodness, what? A faith, meekness, uh, a temperance, a self-control. Now, this is very interesting, these things. Because he's saying that there's, there's your inner person that must be ministered to. Oh, it's quite important. The Holy Spirit is busily doing it. Now, I would say to you, if you had stopped and think about it, and I don't need to go too far over here other than to say this, these nine virtues, and or call them fruit that's being produced in your life. Now, it, now the fruit in the life of a Christian is very interesting. Now, a fruit tree, usually I will, or if I go to the vineyard and I want some grapes, I'm taking the grapes and enjoying them, right? Well, now, when fruit is being produced in your life, guess what? The people around you can walk by and say, boy, this is good. You know, I think this is really wonderful. And it, it is something that can, that can nourish others around you. But bless God Almighty, when you look at these, they begin answering all the problems that you face in your life. I want you to see this. This is so important. How many problems that you face will love solve? How many issues that cause you misery and pain will joy unspeakable and full of glory provide? How many things going on in your life right now will peace subside and you can rest and say hallelujah Lord God Almighty? How many problems do you have because you're not long suffering? You got a short fuse and you get too much ahead of yourself. I know whereof I speak. Okay. Oh my. Well, you just take all of them. And what you'll find is spiritual therapy, the apothecary of God, is in the manufacturing of the fruit of the Spirit in the soul of every Christian. That's the important part. That's the important part. Ladies and gentlemen, this is God's medicine for you. The medicine of immortality is in the word of the living God and in his virtues that he wants to put in your heart and your mind. And you need to take them as such. They're not stuff to talk about. They're really things to experience and to enjoy and to learn how they operate. Secondly, there's another fruit God's interested in your life. And you can find this in the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. 
where Paul says not only your character inside you, but he says uh, God is also interested in your conduct, your daily conduct, how you conduct yourself. And in verse 10, he says, uh, he said now, he said, he, please, he says, Colossians, God wants you to walk worthy. Oh. Walk worthy. Being fruitful in every good work. Now your walk is your walk in the world. Your fruit bearing are the good works that are going on around you as you're walking through life. Now you know what happened to you also when you first got saved? And you probably have a problem with it today, but you didn't have a problem with it when you were first saved. First thing happened when you got saved, you come, I mean, you just start, whoa, Lord, this is good. And don't we have a holy God? And Lord, my sins are gone. I don't even want to sin anymore. That's how you felt. I, I remember I got saved. I was 17 years old. I went to work on Monday morning. I got saved on Saturday. Monday morning I went to work. I climbed up on Alba's feed, uh, uh, feed tank. And I was up there painting, chipping away and praising God. And the, the, the foreman said, what's wrong with you, Brother Don? And I said, I don't want to sin anymore. I love the way this feels. <laughs> And you know what else I wanted? I said, Lord, I want to be perfect. <laughs> Wouldn't it be something to be as perfect and holy as Jesus? Now, I want you to know the Lord in heaven had a big smile on his face when I said that. Now, his smile was, I, I, like, what, I like what he wants. But his smile was, Son, how in the world are you ever going to deal with all of those issues? And what he came to reveal to me is all of that has to do with the rest of all of my life. Oh, one of the things that you will tend to lose as time goes on in your spiritual life is the desire for purity holiness and perfection. But did you know, Paul tells us that God predetermined that he would shape and mold you and I into the very likeness and the image of his son Jesus. Ooh, oh my God. Now, I know you give up on it every now and then because you fail so many times, right? You can't give up on this one. That's why we need renewal. That's why we need refreshment. That's why we need revival over and over and over again in our lives. Well, we can leave that one alone for just a little while. Although, you know, your, your character and your conduct. <laughs> okay, so we, what do we struggle with? We struggle with consistency in my life. Uh, as time goes on, uh, keeping a consistency with what God has done for me and is doing with me and my obedience to stay there. 
Oh, that's called abiding means when you stay there. <laughs> if you stay there. So Jesus said, you're in me, but you have to abide. You have to keep this to be the priority of your life. And said that, so you have a part you play in that. Which is very there's a third issue. It's down in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. And Paul wrote to the Philippian church, and he said, he said, man, he said, you guys are some of the best people I've ever known in all of my life. He said, you remember when I left Macedonia, in that Philippians in Macedonia. He said, you know, when I left, you were the only church that ministered unto me. And you sent me money time and time again to meet my needs. And he said, it's not that I wanted the money so much. He said, I needed it. He said, it's not that I wanted. He said, what I really wanted was that you would have fruit in your giving applied to your account in the reckoning of heaven when God, uh, when he balances the book of your life and he makes all of the entrances, he said, bless God, I want to know that you all are shining gloriously and God the Father is saying, fruit is being provided here. Woo! Oh my goodness, you're giving contributions most people are shocked beyond measure to know how much emphasis Jesus Christ made on money. Did you know he said more about money than most any other issue that he spoke about? You say, yeah, he said it was bad. No, he didn't say it was bad. What Jesus said about, Jesus said about money, Luke chapter 6, 38, he said, give and it shall be given unto you. <laughs> Pack down, fill up. And overflowing. You gotta be joking. Paul would be like this in, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. If you are bountiful in your giving, he said, you will be bountiful in your prosperity. Oh, oh my. Now, wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute. He said, if you're faithful to give, God will give you seed so that you can have more to give. You'll never run out of the ability to give contributions and money for the ministries of Jesus Christ in your life. You never will. You'll have some hard times, but you're not going to go broke. You're going to be blessed beyond measure. Paul says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, he said, the Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You've got to be joking. Uh, now, how many of you listen to televangelists? Have you ever listened? You should. You say, well, what do you mean? Because they are some of the most prosperous people in the United States of America. You got to be joking. Yes. Now, if you're critical of them, you're sitting in a small church that's doing almost nothing but the glory of God. They have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people working and going and running and giving their testimonies that God is overflowing in their life. Woo. I'm not 
saying every one of them is sending them the will of God. I'm saying to you that if you do not believe the message of the Bible on prosperity, ladies and gentlemen, you're missing out on tremendous blessings. And the message of prosperity begins according to both Old and New Testaments with my willingness to give and give sacrificially. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Like you said, how's that house got to bless me? Well, in the Old Testament, you know what the word bless means? It means to give you power to get. When God created Adam and Eve, the Bible said he blessed them and said be fruitful, multiply. Woo! Oh my goodness. Have dominion over all of creation. And he blessed them and put them in the garden of Eden. A paradise of God. If you want to know what it means to be blessed, Read Deuteronomy 28. And brother, if you're not interested in that, you need your head examined if you're a Bible believer. Oh my goodness. I learned two things in my life. I had three lessons on giving. And the first one was given to me by my uncle. The man who was responsible for leading me to Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior. Boy, did he challenge me. He said, Don McIntyre, you're saved, and I thank God you are. But he said, son, if God's going to do anything in your life, you're going to have to learn how to get it. And I said, what does that mean? He said, it starts off with tithing. And I said, you got to think much. What's tithing, uncle? And he said, 10% of your gross income should be turned over to the local church where you are a member. And I started, now, now this was a long time ago, and I had a job making $1.75 an hour, and I thought that was all the money in the world in 1960. And I said, wait a minute, Uncle. Now, if I do that, gosh, that's going to take close to $10 a week out of my paycheck. And he said, that's right. And I said, well, I don't think I'm going to do that. And he said, if you don't do that, I will not take your money for rent that you're paying me. You're going to And that was ten dollars And he said, son, if that's the way it is, you keep the ten dollars if you love it that much. And he turned out and walked away, and I want you to know shame came all over my I began to pray and talk to God. And I said, God, He read to me in the Bible that a tithe belongs to you and it's to be given to the storehouse. And from that day on, I began to tithe. I have never, I have never, in all of these years, have I regretted tithing. I did not tithe one time. One week when I was in college, we were overloaded with debts. I was overwhelmed, not thinking that I could make it through another week. We needed food and it was scarce. 
And so I said to Sean, well, Sean, we're just not going to be able to get our tithes. And we both just said, yeah, the Lord knows. Two days later, I was driving to another town to pick someone up. I got a ticket. Now, that ticket was for the exact amount of money of my time. Now, if you don't think that didn't speak to me, I said, Yo, you can't afford to tithe. I came back home and I, I said, We can't afford not to tithe. <laughs> <laughs> God was telling us, You can't afford not to. And for the rest of my life, I tithe. And I've always practiced this. But I learned the third lesson. <coughs> it was back in the 1980s. And I learned this when we were pastoring in Texas and I had gone to Southern California to work on my PhD degree for the summer. And uh, had quite a big deal. Wow. You know, I don't have enough money to pay this tuition and what I owe this school. And I have to pay them before this summer semester is over. I didn't know what I was going to do. We well, God provided this as well. Well, I was invited to preach at church in Santa Barbara. The pastor of that church was Brother Keith Hudson. By the way, he's the father of Katie Perry and his wife, Mary. And uh, he is a prosperity preaching preacher. Okay? He, I, he's not worth millions of dollars, but he was of that persuasion. When I preached, they took an offering from me. And during the announcements, he was talking about the ministry that God was laying on his heart, the tent ministry that he, that he just knew he was supposed to be met. And people prayed out and those were the spirit. When the service was over with, and he brought me a check, I said, but Keith, I want to donate this to you and your ministry. God just laid on my heart that I should do it. And he looked at me kind of pleasant. I said, yeah, I said, I'm sorry, what I'm doing now, I can't, I can't take this check from you. I want, but I want it to go there. And he said, well, Brother Don, he said, according to the gospel of Mark, Jesus repays a hundredfold. Now, I, would, I had no concept of getting a hundredfold for my little check. But I, it did get my attention when after I did, I took it, I went find my name on the back too, and it was for the exact amount of my tuition and all of the costs. I mean, something like six or seven hundred dollars, which would have cleared my bill. I swallowed it. Go, go. And I, the truth is, as I was walking out, I began saying, Lord, it would really be good if you did a hundred foes. You know what I needed. And then I said, I don't know why I've been here preaching in one of these prosperity churches. <laughs> I'm so Well, but the interesting thing is, within six months, I did receive a check for 10 dollars 
not, not that he didn't try to go to the My attitude and practice of giving above and beyond my time was radically changed in that experience. Now that doesn't mean I haven't had a hard time signing it. I've had more ups and downs than you've ever barked at. But I want you to know never once were we in a position in my life where from the mid-80s on we were able to give more than we have given before. Consistent and very well. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to go to work in your financial life. And that will be directly related to your faithfulness to God regarding finances. Okay. He will work wonders in your life. You'll have trials and tribulations for giving through. And I want you to know you'll be glad that you did. All right. The fruit of financial contributions. I highly recommend it. I do not tell you you have to. I do not scold you if you don't want to. That's when you're not you but there's another one that is so very important. A fruit, another. Turn in your Bible. You got Hebrews chapter, chapter 13 and verse 15 of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Here's some fruit. Now sometimes, you see, fruit gets a little harder as you go. <laughs> okay. now, now fruit's tough on dealing with you know the foundation of your attitude yeah, sort of. and the conduct boy that's a tough one too all oh, the finances cause you one gun and go and jump off a barn building and what am I going to do what am I going to do Lord will take care of that too but there's another one that will just hound you until the day you die and that will be the fruit of the confession and communication of your mouth and in chapter 15, Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews said, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, in other words, that what I mean is the fruit of your lips giving thanks to the Father. In everything. <laughs> oh my goodness. To the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Paul said, give thanks to God in everything. <laughs> everything. Praising His holy name. Now, the sacrifice of praise is when you praise God and you're hurting and you want to be complaining. <laughs> okay. now, now you know what? I, and I let me I'm, I'm gonna be really I'm not gonna be hot and easy on you here. This yeah. But the most common thing I hear when, it, when people have problems, you hear complaining, you hear blaming, you hear uh, you just spout spew. I don't know what you got. 
Oh my Lord God, it must make God sick. It must turn his stomach. If he had one. Now we do know you can make Jesus sick, he'll spew you out of his mouth. Right? But but he says to us, now, if you're going to be fruitful, he said, I want you to be fruitful in the stuff that comes out of your mouth. You watch your words. Jesus said, by your words, you'll be judged. Your words, they're very important. Are you grateful to God when the worst thing in the world happened to you? Can you say, Lord, you know better than I do. And after you get over your first initial fit, and we all throw them right back there, right? you say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm off base. Totally off base. Lord, you're my heavenly father. You've been overseeing my life since I was a teenager. I remember all the ways you delivered me. Lord, don't let me be so foolish. Ask you to get a pessimistic, sarcastic attitude. Don't say it to me. And there are times the Holy Spirit's working in you. And you must offer your sacrifice of praise. And sometimes that means you're going to leave. Hurt. But through it all. You're going to say, that's the Lord. And hold my souls. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now we usually complain because we want to calm somebody out of something. Did I even get my new dad? If you're fine with somebody, they do what you want to do. And you care to go, well, if I just complain to God, if I have my mouth, my blah, 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 I'm going to get you thinking, you better do something wrong with me for safety. Well, they all kicked me out of the kingdom for being like that. That's the truth. When I do that, they all just kick me out. I said, oh, well, forgive me, Lord. I've fallen into the old run again. Okay. Sacrifice first. You want to be rude to God? Yes, you do. You have to sacrifice and praise to God. Amen. The Bible says in Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the suffering of the cross. Jesus looked at him. He said, This is going to be tough. <laughs> but he said, It was for the joy that was set before him. He looked at it. He said, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I want to glorify you. One more and I'll shut up. The fifth one. This one you you can find it in your both old and new testaments. In the New Testament you find it in in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15. 1 Corinthians 16 and 15. Paul writes to Corinthians, he said, Oh by the way, you do remember that Stephanus was the first priest in his house of the cave. 
one of the top emphasis that Rome had separated the Greek, old Greek Empire into Achaia, Achaia and Macedonia. And he said the first family to get saved and get it was the first fruits of Achaia. You see what he was thinking about? Obviously, in Proverbs 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he didn't want to sow this he knew that as a Jew. He's where soul winners wives. Soul winners wives. Listen, when, when God uses your testimony and God uses uh, you and, and sharing the gospel as best you can and to see someone saved and born again. Oh my. And oh my. Oh my goodness, how wonderful it is. He had to have been thinking about Jesus there as he had been in Samaria. The woman at the well had gone and brought the men of the city back to see Jesus. And as, as that city of men came out, Jesus and his disciples looked on the fields. They are white, all ready to harvest. Gentlemen, he said, let's get busy. It's harvest time. Fruit must be picked for the glory of God. Now, there are times when man's pickings get swelled in winning soul. But you know, if we're faithful, the time will come when there will be an abundance of holiness. When God gets where he trusts us, then he'll, he'll send the harvest field. See, another thing I know about you is when you got saved, you may have forgotten about it. You was young, but when you first got saved, one of the first things you want to do is tell somebody else about it. I remember when Andy got saved. She made me not remember. Then, uh, <laughs> she told me she came home and she said, Grandpa, who, who can we go with this to now? And she was just a little bit cooking, and she was just, her eyes were just, she were just sparkling all over. And I, I remember that. The same night I got saved, I was so happy. I went back to my uncle's house. I grabbed the phone and called my mom and daddy. And I said, Mom and daddy, and I knew their lives were excellent because they saved me. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And they thought it was crazy. <laughs> I don't play them out. Probably was. But that was that compulsion. You had that in a powerful way when you first started. And that gets resurrected every now and Now, God wants you to be fruitful. God wants you to be fruitful. Concerning the soul, we may always think of what a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia said. This was several years ago. He said he went to the hospital and visited one of the members of his church. Thirteen-year-old boy, sick and died at the turning on the stairs. He said, when, I, when we went into the room, this thirteen-year-old boy was weeping and crying. He said, I walked over to him and I said, son, I know it's hard and I don't know what all to say to comfort you, but I want to pray. 
I know it's tough, but you have to look forward to it. He said, I know it's hard. And he said, those kind of things said, preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, what do you mean? He said, preacher, do you realize I can say one over here and I can never draw anybody to Jesus? He said, preacher, I'm not afraid to die. He said, I'm ashamed to die. I'm ashamed to die. And if you've never laid on me in Christ or had a pardon, Lord, if you look the same. Lord, if somebody does turn to say somehow that I'm having a pardon, I'm not ashamed to me. I spent my life on me, I and mine. Don't you want to be renewed in a spiritual life? Don't you want to know more of the Lord of God? Don't you want God to refresh and restore you back to your spiritual life? Don't you want to be smack dab in the middle of the will of God and to the best of your ability and the power of God in you to do it? You know what I mean? You're saved. Your answer is a true Christian. You may have a lot of reservations, but that's true. You can't get it. You just can't. It doesn't matter what the preacher preaches on. Typically, somebody in the congregation, whether they come forward and talk to the pastor or not, they may meet him at the door. They will look at him and they'll say to him, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I'm struggling with the will of God and how to do it. I need to know more. I hope God has answered some Would you come to Jesus? Would you surrender to Jesus? Would you do that? Could we stand together?